You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. My name is Elizabeth Dowdell, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news and storytelling. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. At this particular moment in time, none of us are able to gather because we are living through a global pandemic. We are all doing our part to slow the spread of the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, by staying at home. While you stay in your home, or if you have to leave it, we encourage you to think about what disease and isolation means for Indigenous peoples across Turtle Island. Reflect on what resilience means and how culture and connectedness can flourish, even when we are physically distant. The team here at Terra Informa, while unable to gather in our studios at CGSR, are still working to produce new content for you. While we adjust to making our show remotely, we'll be digging into our back catalogue to share a few weeks of archive stories. If you're a new listener, we hope you enjoy this peek at Terra Informa's past. And if you've been tuning in for years, we hope you enjoy these classic episodes as much as we do. As we put new episodes together, you might notice some changes in audio quality. As volunteers with CGSR, we usually have access to a range of professional equipment. Unfortunately, recording from our apartment bathrooms just doesn't have the same acoustics as Studio B. We're going to do our best to keep bringing you the informative and enthusiastic environmental content you expect, even if it sounds a little bit less polished than usual. This week, we are revisiting an episode that first aired in April of 2019 and continues to be an important environmental and equity issue. The episode is called menstruation innovation. Just like the gendered impacts of the COVID-19 crisis are getting little media attention, environmental issues that predominantly affect women are not talked about enough. This episode features headline news, research, and audio from an event organized by then-Terra informer Sydney Carbonic. Let's flash back to 2019 now as I let my past self introduce you to sustainable menstruation. This week, we're talking about periods. Crimson Wave, Aunt Flo, Menstruation, whatever you want to call it, we're going there because there is a real link between what menstrual products women choose or are forced to use and impacts on the environment and human well-being. Our very own Terra Informer, Sydney Carbonic, recently hosted an educational event about the environmental, social, and economic impact of menstrual products and what other options exist for women. Sydney would like the listener to know that there are many issues we can discuss on this topic. From privilege to gender, religion, accessibility, and cost. However, there is only so much one group of menstruators can tackle in one hour. We'll hear audio from that event, along with some important period facts, but first, headlines. And yes, they're all about periods. On April 24th, Federal Minister of Small Business and Export Promotion, Mary Ng, announced $100,000 in funding for Lunapads International, a women-owned Canadian company that makes reusable menstrual products. The majority of Lunapads products are manufactured locally in Vancouver, keeping their environmental footprint low. 
The new funding will be used to increase manufacturing capacity and staffing numbers at these Vancouver production facilities. On April 13, The Guardian released an article exploring the different ways women around the world manage their period when access to clean water, a toilet, or other crucial facilities are limited. With a photo gallery and support from the nonprofit WaterAid, the article celebrates innovation while making a point about inequality in both access, education, and cultural norms. Some facts from the article include a UNESCO report on Sub-Saharan Africa, which estimates 1 in 10 girls misses school during her period or drops out of school entirely when they start menstruating. While in India, a levy on feminine hygiene products as high as 12 to 14% has just been removed. Local taboos, costs, safety concerns, and a lack of information about menstrual products or lack of reproductive education all discriminate against women who are menstruating. To address these inequalities, many women turn to innovative and handmade solutions for menstrual products. Due to the high costs and environmental pollution of disposable products, Sangeeta in Nepal makes her own cloth pads, while Apara in Uganda uses a goat skin skirt that she washes and reuses because she finds the disposable pads at the local shop are too expensive and not effective. Another woman, Limpo, from Zambia, makes a pad out of cow dung wrapped in cloth because she cannot afford store-bought products and these are more discreet for disposal. While Claire, in Manchester, uses a moon cup because it is healthier and more convenient for her. Periods are a taboo around the world and not talking about them has negative impacts on both people and the environment. On April 12th, Tara and former Sydney Carbonic held an educational event about what it means to be a sustainable menstruator. Event participants identified ways we could dismantle the barriers of adopting sustainable menstrual products, and at the end, they were each given a free Diva Cup. The event was called Menstruation Innovation. The event attracted interest from about 200 people, but funding was limited, so a total of 26 people were able to take part. 15 new sustainable menstruators and six menstruation mentors. The mentors were all Diva Cup veterans and helped answer questions and guide conversation. We've got audio from that event, along with Sydney sharing some facts about periods, the environment, and what women and men can do to reduce stigma, raise awareness, and practice a greener period. So this is like a culture of shame that we've been roped into, right? Where where we can't discuss something that is going on with our bodies and that's necessary for us to um, to to take care of. You know, it really would deviate from the highest form of accuracy to say that this is solely a women's issue. It's not. Um, this is an issue that affects many, many people and, and it even affects people who don't have menstrual cycles at all, right? Um, because they're changing the way that they're thinking about people who who have cycles as a dirty, gross thing that they can't address. Hello, my name is Sydney. I'm a fifth year Bachelor of Arts in Environmental Studies student. I have a concentration in policy and sociology and a certificate in sustainability. But most importantly, I am a human woman menstruator. So 
So when we talk about sustainability and when we study sustainability, we talk about the three pillars, and that is environmental, social, and economic. And whenever a product comes out and it hits all of those three pillars, we have to wonder why is that product not more widely adopted? But let's backtrack a bit. We're here today because I hosted a menstruation innovation event where we got a bunch of menstruators together to talk about the barriers to adopting sustainable products despite their obvious benefits. Twenty billion pads, tampons, and applicators go into the landfills every year, and that's just in North America. Um, and that's in conjunction with all the toxins and chemicals that go, that aren't in these conventional products. A life cycle assessment of tampons conducted by the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm found that the largest impact on global warming was caused by the processing of LDPE. That stands for low density polyethylene. It is a thermoplastic made from monomer ethylene. It's used in tampon applicators as well as in sanitary napkin packaging. These products require high amounts of fossil fuel generated energy. So a year's worth of a typical feminine hygiene product leaves a carbon footprint of 5.3 kilograms of CO2 equivalents. And that's from a Harvard Business School article. So if you're listening and you're a menstruator, it's interesting to calculate exactly how much money you've spent on menstrual products in your lifetime. I did just this, and I found out that in my short period of using conventional products, I spent $338.39. The average menstruator will pay $2,300 in her lifetime for conventional menstrual products. So let's talk about the four most shocking facts about conventional products. Number one, they have chemicals and toxins inside of them. All feminine care products like tampons, pads, douches, wipes, and sprays contain hazardous chemicals. Number two, it's unregulated. Toxic chemicals can legally be used in menstrual products without safety testing. It's also difficult to avoid some of these potentially harmful chemicals because companies are not legally required to disclose ingredients in tampons and pads, especially the fragrance ingredients. Research has shown that companies know that they're putting these harmful chemicals in the packaging um, and the product itself, but they don't care. So the Environmental Working Group is a site where you can type any product that you use and then it comes out with um, the score of how healthy it is. Um, so that's fragrance. Scale of eight in red, which is super bad for you. I think it goes up to 10. Common chemicals of concern include carcinogens, reproductive toxins, endocrine disruptors, and allergens. So why is this a concern? 
Vaginal tissue is much more absorptive than other skin. Unregulated toxic chemicals may result in serious health problems like increased risk of breast cancer, reproductive problems, asthma, and allergic reactions. But there's hope in all this. You as an individual have agency. You have purchasing power. Transitioning to reusable products not only helps your body, but also helps the environment. If reusable isn't feasible, always choose unscented, chlorine-free, unbleached cotton tampons and pads. Now, let's jump into the five most life-changing facts about the sustainable menstrual cup. Number one, cups are made of chemical-free, medical-grade silicone. Number two, it helps maintain a balanced vagina. Tampons absorb everything, including the natural good bacteria that your vagina produces in order to keep itself clean and at an optimal pH level. Number three, reproductive health. Tampons and pads distort our view and perceptions on how much blood we lose during menstruation. A cup allows an accurate understanding of your natural flow pattern. This will make it easier to detect any possible problems and report them to your doctor. Like we say, knowledge is power. Number four, money. You will use either five menstrual cups or 12,000 disposable products in your lifetime. Number five, save the planet. Cups are zero waste products. After you use them, you can recycle them. You don't create the toxic waste you would with the traditional menstrual products. When you throw a tampon or pad, it sticks around for 800 plus years before it decomposes. That's crazy long. At one point during the event, I asked any menstruator who has ever felt shame around their period, where does this shame come from? So additionally to the three pillars in sustainability, we're also talking about period positivity and dismantling the stigma. Um, but then the fourth part of this whole thing is we want to dismantle this period stigma. We want to be period positive, and we don't want to have any more period shame. So show of hands, who has, like, hid their tampons or their pads ever? <laughs> right? That's crazy. Why? The biggest thing with this, I think, is just talking about it. Like, it's a normal thing to anyone. Talk about it to your friends, your coworkers, your bus drivers, <laughs> anyone. So in preparation for the event, we gathered results from menstruators who used both sustainable products and conventional products. The results showed that the majority of people who use sustainable products use the silicone or rubber cup. 94% of the individuals who use sustainable products said that they were satisfied with them. This is actually congruent with a UBC study that found that 90% of menstruators who tried a menstrual cup would 
in fact continue using it. So what does this tell us? This tells us that when menstruators try these sustainable products, menstruators do find that they enjoy them much more than the conventional alternative that they've been using their whole life. The survey results for the people who used conventional products were asked about what prevented them from choosing a menstrual cup. The number one answer was that they don't know how to use it. Number two was it's messy. Number three, it isn't convenient for public places. Number four, the cost. And number five is it looks a little scary, which is true, it does. When we're used to tampons and pads, something like the Diva Cup can look menacing. So after the presentation, we got into groups and we decided to tackle these barriers to adoption. And this is what we came up with. really believe that talking about it is the key to like solving all of these issues like I genuinely do um, because a lot of the barriers that like what we specifically work with um, for people like can be eradicated or slowly eroded over time with just people being comfortable to have the conversation and once we see menstruation as necessity because right now we I don't think society sees it as necessity right it's never on the same level it's yeah. amazing that a lot of men believe that just like a peeing, you can hold in yeah. Have you actually talked to someone who... That is wild. Can you write that down? And like the hiding it in your sleeve is real. Yeah. Like, oh, yes. Hiding it in my pencil case. Oh, your pencil case? Yeah. I remember I was in like... Okay, so we picked two. We had don't know how to use and cost as barriers. Um, so for to fix the general knowledge or lack of knowledge for menstrual cups, we came up with sort of a big task of just fixing general health or sex ed in K to 12 in schools, um, because we all had a shared experience of not really learning about periods or menstrual products in general in school. Um, and including that, like maybe starting it younger in sex ed, um, because if we did learn about it, uh, learn about getting your period, we were already getting it. Um, 
yeah, and just like including general period education, um, including pamphlets at doctor's offices and medi centers and pharmacies. You'll generally see information on like tampons and pads, but not menstrual cups. Um, and some of us have also had the experience of doctors not knowing how to use them when we've asked about them, um, which is frustrating. <laughs> uh, and yeah, creating more classes like this on how to use them and opening up the conversation. Uh, and then for barriers to cost, uh, generally just like subsidizing um, menstrual products, um, increasing donations to women's shelters, um, because there is that cost barrier, um, most women's shelters ask for donations of um, like pads and tampons, um, but if we as the general public can take it upon ourselves to organize donations of menstrual, uh, menstrual cups, I feel like that would be really helpful. Um, giving them for free in health class and universities like they do with uh, pads and tampons, uh, having companies lower the cost, um, and then just the general point of actually putting it with menstruation products in the store. Usually you find them in like a different aisle, like in a corner and not with pads or tampons. Yeah, um, yeah which could be a deterrent if like you are looking for them and you don't want to have to ask someone where to find them if you don't find them next to like Tampax. So yeah. That's what we came up with. Good job, you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I literally was running around St. Albert last night trying to get find you all Diva Cups, and I went to three stores to get 15 Diva Cups. All right, so we did the barrier of be it being messy. So one of our first ideas was that take a shower and empty it in the shower, even if that requires taking a shower like more than once a day, or even just rinsing. Um, wearing a panty liner when first using or throughout your cycle as well to prevent leakage. Try it at home or stay at home when changing so then you can have, you know, the comfort of your own bathroom. If possible, and if you're at work or at school, using a private bathroom because there are some on campus that you can lock the door, use the sink and the toilet in the same room. And then our last idea is to bring disposable wipes. There are environmentally friendly ones as well, but then just to be able to clean up little spills if you have it. And like I said, if you do get blood on your scarf for some odd reason, just own it. <laughs> yes. No, that's so true. And I think that's really important, especially when we're first learning, because it is a learning curve, just like tampons. Tampons were a learning curve. Yeah. What we wanted to explore is the idea that social barriers are kind of at the foundation of a beautiful pyramid of accessibility for menstrual products. So um, we can kind of look at the idea that social barriers kind of are what stem like the barriers of cost or like even the whole idea and fear around it being a messy product to use is, is around this like fear of wanting to keep your, your menstruation private and to yourself, right? So everything comes back to a social barrier of we don't wanna talk about menstruation. So we, we started talking about some examples and experiences that we had with um, social barriers and encounters with um, our menstrual cycles. So it's the idea that like people don't wanna talk about it. Our moms don't want us to use certain products or they have certain viewpoints. Um, it can be really embarrassing. I'm sure a lot of people, like what we talked about before with Sydney is everyone hides it um, in, their, in their sleeves or whatever. So this is like a culture of shame that we've been roped into, right? Where, where we can't discuss something that is going on with our bodies and that's necessary for us to, um, to, to take care of. We also wanted to bring a point where 
Does anyone know when it could be dangerous? In what situation would it be dangerous to talk about your period or to ask for a tampon? So when it could be dangerous is when you disclose that you have a period and you're like a trans person or a trans guy or whatever. Um, what are you supposed to do if you if you're a person who needs a menstrual product or you need some kind of way to take care of your menstrual cycle, do you go to the men's shelter and then ask for menstrual products and out yourself there? Do you go to the women's shelter and like not fit into anywhere at all? Like what what we what we end up seeing is people overuse products that aren't supposed to go into their bodies. And we see people um, overuse products that are supposed to go into your bodies and both of which uh, can be very dangerous for your health as I'm sure we all know, like toxic shock syndrome scares the crap out of me, right? So um, what are some ways that we can start uh, breaking down those social barriers? So what are some ways that we can stop being so embarrassed and stop thinking about this as, um, you know, it really would deviate from the highest form of accuracy to say that this is solely a women's issue. It's not. Um, this is an issue that affects many, many people and, and it even affects people who don't have menstrual cycles at all, right? Um, because they're changing the way that they're thinking about people who, who have cycles as a dirty, gross, thing that they can't address. So who has really excellent? We don't want to validate those stereotypes, right? We don't want to give them any more power over us, right? We want to start dismantling that. Um, and I think talking about the usage is another really important aspect of this. Um, kind of from, from, from what we've seen is the biggest barrier for people who need menstrual products in accessing them is asking. That's actually the biggest one is people are very afraid to ask if you're already getting charity because um, what happens if you ask and someone doesn't have a menstrual product for you? What do they know about you now, right? They know that you're just bleeding. And because we've made that such an embarrassing thing about like the messiness and whatever, um, people can't even take that step to, to ask for assistance or talk about it. Um, our barrier was cost. Uh, and so yeah, to combat some of the uh, arguments about this, so the Diva Cup is normally around $50, which in my opinion isn't really that expensive when you consider the fact that like a box of tampons is anywhere between like $10 and $12. Let's say you use one box per cycle and you have 12 cycles per year. So 12, let's go like, yeah, 12 times 12, that'd be like 240 bucks per year. And as opposed to the Diva Cup, which again is $50 basically per year. Um, but I mean, the Diva Cup can actually last more than a year. Like I've been using mine for at least a year and a half. Um, you don't need to set aside money per month to be like, oh crap, like I just started my cycle, I need to go out and buy some new products. Oh yeah, and also, so the Diva Cup is about $50 as I mentioned, but um, like you can go online and also order like cheaper knockoffs. Like my mom, she buys like all different types of like colors and like different brands and everything. And it's, it's really pretty interesting, so. So all in all, the big takeaway from this event was that these spaces are needed. There was over 200 responses for the survey, and almost all of those individuals wanted to join in the conversation and try sustainable products. The other thing that we learned was it's hard to talk about menstruation. Even with your friends and family, it's difficult. And that's because of the just the society that we live in. So by working to dismantle these barriers, we not only make the world a more sustainable, healthy place, but we also become less shameful about our bodies and our bodily processes.
51% of the world is female. Females menstruate. How could 51% of the population feel shame about something that happens naturally to them once a month? say thank you to the Students Invested in Health Association, All Cycles Edmonton, and the Alumni Association. They were all instrumental in informing the project and funding the project. I also had lots of help from menstruator mentors and women's health experts. That was Tara and former Sydney Carbonic discussing sustainable menstruation. If you have questions or comments, uh, send us an email to Tara at cjsr.com or tweet at Tara Informa. Thank you to all of our volunteers that contributed to this week's episode. Hannah Cunningham, Sydney Carbonic, and Charlotte Thomason. I've been your host, Elizabeth. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope we'll catch you next week right here on Tara Informa. When you take it, okay, let me, so what you do, Take it out, wash it, put it back in. Yeah. Water is actually the thing here. I like so I don't know. But like it's yeah. so convenient because it's always with you. Yeah. Like because it's in your vagina. So I'm never gonna you know when you like run out of tampons and you're gonna have